0: Welcome to the Power of One podcast series, brought to you in association with the special edition Mazda RX-8PZ. For more information on the car, please visit www.mazda.co.uk. It's obviously been a great year for British swimming. In March, uh, our swimmers won 38 medals at the Commonwealth Games, which is a record haul. A couple of months ago, they won 13 medals at the European Championships. Is British swimming stronger than it's ever been?
1: I haven't got the, the, the history of uh, British Swimming, but certainly in the modern era, in the last 20, 30 years, uh, British Swimming is in a unique position that it's never ever had this sort of success at the global level, and it's never had such a development group of potential athletes who can head and lead Britain into 2012, it has a great stockpile of talent at the younger ages has a tremendous depth in coaching now that it's never had when you look at the number of coaches that place swimmers on teams today. Um, it's incredible uh, how it's uh, quadrupled you know, in a period of about four years. So our depth of coaching, our depth and stockpile of talent in the younger ages, and we have a group of senior athletes today who expect to be on the podium. They don't just expect to make the team. There's a new level of professionalism
0: Let's take it back to when you started as Performance Director of uh, British Swimming. Just after the Sydney Olympics, Britain, for the first time since 1936, hadn't won any medals. The triple jumper, Jonathan Edwards, famously talked about the the swimmers coming to party rather than train. Describe for me both the attitude and sort of the structures that were in place when you joined in 2000. Well, the
1: surprising part uh, for me was when I joined in 2000, I had incorrectly assumed that Britain was at uh, a more advanced state than it really was. Uh, Taking an interest in in Britain, when I knew that I was looking to come here, I was surprised that in the year 2000 we had athletes, uh, successful athletes, in in terms of making Olympic teams, would take uh, two months or even three months off after the Olympics. And I don't know of any country in the world that would even consider that. So I thought, I knew then that there was a great problem uh, with the culture of the athlete in Britain, the culture of... sport in terms of swimming at how it would be in the past because those days were long gone for anyone in American teams or Australian teams, you just didn't even consider that. That threw me into disarray, I think we still have work to do but the the major change that was required that we had to uh, draw the domestic competition calendar of Britain in line with the international competition calendar and that that took a big move.
0: I've read somewhere that there are only 19 Olympic sized pools in in the UK, and if you go to where you train in Australia, there's over 20 within a 10 mile radius. Is it is it hard the sort of structural problems we have? Is it hard to sort of get world class athletes training in world class facilities?
1: Well, the problem you've got is I call it the twilight zone, where athletes train between eight and 16 hours a week, and the problem with that is it's too much for the social health benefit person and not enough for the really competitive swimmer. But because of the limited facilities and the crowding and the demands on those limited uh, 25-metre facilities or the antiquated 50-metre facilities, uh, athletes and coaches can't get access. And the problem is it costs so much to hire. If a coach is in a club where he's hiring pool space, the cost of hiring pool space is so prohibitive in this country, you don't have a mass participation, a talent identification program if the coach is works for the local authority, the local authority are interested in mass participation, but there's no elite arm of it where the coach can have uh, two or three swimmers per lane training. So they're either in a club where they can't afford the pool space or they're in a local authority where they can afford the pool space but there's that many people in a lane, they can't get their way through. So it's a very tight and difficult situation in Britain and uh, I can only hope for Britain that uh, the 2012... Uh, Olympic excitement brings with it some new facilities and some new training facilities uh, rather than leisure centres.
0: Now, well, you've, you've talked about changing the mentality, telling athletes that if they want to be world-class, they have to train like world-class athletes. Can you talk a little bit as well about how you've changed the coaching, perhaps all the, the science aspects?
1: Well, I think the, the danger part is that if uh, you have uh, foreign managers of sport, they tend to recruit foreign people. Uh, I've tried uh, to grow local people as well as uh, I've been very uh, vicious in my recruiting of sports science people in, into Britain from Australia. But I've tried to tie them up with local people so that there's, there's a carryover so that when they leave there'll be a legacy of their knowledge staying here.
0: You've been here six years now. Are you ahead of where you wanted to be? Are you about where you thought we'd be?
1: Success is never linear. It never goes in a direct linear line. And you'll always have little ebbs and flows because you're dealing with an unknown world. Germany's trying to do what we're trying to do, Australia's trying to do it, America. So you're going to deal with an unknown world and they will put up different levels of opposition from time to time. So our success hasn't been linear. Uh, We had great success in 2001, 2003 Worlds. 2002 Commonwealth Games was the best ever. 2006 has been sensational in every area. Uh, you know, 2004 our Olympics wasn't as good as we liked and uh, probably our world championships in 2005 so we had a bit of a dip 4 and 5 but that's in the long term it was still better than where we'd been before while it was a dip it was better than we'd but
0: been you got criticised didn't you, you know, that mm. people were quick to praise you in 2002 and 2003 then there was a little wobble and um, that must have been quite hard to take
1: it always uh, if you listen to your critics you come to their level if you have in your own mind where you want to be where you want to go you have an absolute narrowed focus and you're not prepared to be distracted or taken away from that uh, that focus then you live to your own standard you have the courage of your own conviction to go with what you know works
0: you have a reputation for being a tough talker do you think athlete has to be a tough preparation for them to compete at the top level
1: look there's a, a few athletes that would consider me too tough and if you take that into the light of the olympic arena those athletes couldn't perform at the olympics so the athletes that were critical of me every one of them couldn't perform in the olympic arena the history's there uh, 18 olympics and the best was two six places out of those athletes so in, the, in that sense they're right i was too tough for them and the olympics were too tough for them So I like to put my standards where the Olympics are and say that's where you've got to live. It's no good trying to live in hope, thinking reality will be addressed because you're a nice person and it just happens at the end. You've got to deal with reality of the Olympic environment know uh, the intensity uh, which it offers you and you've got to be able to survive and operate in that field. And it takes very, very strong people to live in that arena. Now, you have to prepare for that. And it's no good preparing way below that and hoping that you'll step up at the last minute. Sometimes you have to prepare above that and come down to the Olympic standard. So uh, I I like to think that I set the standards where the Olympic environment is, and uh, some people will will live to that environment, some will struggle. Your job as a coach is to to pick them up, dust them off, and then send them back into the fray and uh, uh, try and do everything you can to get them ready. But at the same time, you have to address reality, and the reality is... In the Olympic environment, on the second day of the Olympics, all uh, your fears and frustrations come tumbling around your neck and if you haven't had an invincible preparation, you haven't been superior in your skills and your preparation, it's going to catch up with you.
0: You were coach of, I think, the Australian national team for four Olympics. Um, Talk to me about the differences in mentality, if there are any, between Australian athletes and, and British athletes.
1: It's often said that there are a lot of differences and that sport in Australia... Is a way of life and sport in and, and Britain's a, a recreation hobby. I think that's a little too extreme. I think the athletes in Britain are exactly the same as they are in Australia or any other country. I just think that the uh, approach that's taken is, is very different. I think the, the, the British swimmers can be every bit as good and better than the American swimmers or the Australian swimmers. I think it's just the, the how we approach it uh, in Australia. As I said, swimming's a or sport is a way of life uh, and it's a, sh- it's a hard way of life and, and, and in Britain it tends to be a, a recreation activity.
0: Is it about changing the challenge though? Because sometimes I think in Australia it's, it's about winning. Winning is the ultimate thing while sometimes in in Britain athletes perhaps settle for making the team and there's a difference between you know, going the extra mile to push on not be satisfied with being good.
1: I can only it, it, it give you my philosophy on it and for me... Winning is the only considered option. I do not want to consider anything other than winning. I have no interest in doing anything other than winning. Now, uh, it depends on how you term winning. I think winning is getting the absolute best out of yourself, leaving nothing to chance, nothing to opportunity, and uh, and uh, when you finally have that final race of your life, and hopefully it's at the Olympics, or whatever the major meet you're going for, that you can look at yourself in the mirror and say, that's as good as it gets for me. I can't do anything better. The greatest fear that I have when you coach athletes is at the end of their career they look in the mirror and say, oh, "I could have done a bit better," than that, or "I could have done." I don't think there's any worse end result for an athlete than that.
0: If if I was a swimmer in 2000, how many hours a week would I put in um, compared to now and what, what what have you done differently? I mean, is there more emphasis on biomechanical work, more emphasis on, you know, using those sorts of Uh, skills and science or is it just workload and just more intensity
1: you have to have a fully integrated multi-dimensional program where the athlete is developed as a whole person they have to have uh, self-management skills lifestyle skills they have to understand why they do uh, eat well and eat nutritious food they have to understand why they should do some strength and conditioning they have to understand how to manage their finances they have to have a holistic approach to their development. And that means that, you know, through their career as an early athlete, uh, when they develop, you have to have a technique, technique, and technique. You don't see poor technique on the podium at Global Meets. So technique has to be fully ingrained at a young age. It takes great coaches, and it takes fabulous learn-to-swim teachers.
0: Now, do you think being a good swimmer but perhaps not a great swimmer perhaps made you a great coach? You know, people talk about all sports. It's often the great coaches are the ones that didn't quite fulfil all they wanted to achieve as a, as a, as a player or as, a, as, a, as an athlete. And, so it, it, and, and perhaps those that are great comes easy to them. While those um, athletes who are good, they have to think more about it and then they learn.
1: I, uh, surprising, when I was a young athlete, I loved training. I had loved going to training. It was just the, the highlight of my day. There's never a day that I didn't go that I didn't want to go and train at
0: And when you see athletes like um, Fran Halsall, uh, who's six, you know, 16 years old, was fourth in the 100-metre individual freestyle at the European Championships, and Kirsty Delfour as well, and there's so many other athletes who are all young and are all pushing through, it must fill you with an enormous sense of pride. I think that
1: <clears throat> we've got just some great talent coming through. I mean, the, the list of, of women in our program, uh, young girls through to women, is outstanding. Uh, our, our men are coming through, David Davies, who's just a sensational young man and a quality person as well as a, a great swimmer. And Fran's doing a hell of a job and, you know, there's just untold number of, of people on the horizon. And when I first came here, I felt the work ethic was way below par. It wasn't where it should be. So we built up the work level of the athletes. So I I looked at the senior athletes and said, first thing we can do is bring their work level up. And then I looked at the junior level athletes and I thought we can bring their talent and skill levels up. So I took a a top and tail approach. At the top, I looked at adding the work. And at the tail, I looked at adding technique and skill and and self-management skills. And that worked. Had an immediate result because we did the extra work and we're doing the extra work and the extra yards now. And then I knew about two years ago I had to change that and I had to bring in a sprint, a speed philosophy. And and we're now wanting to change our competition structure to introduce some speed events.
0: And what about the motivational side? Do you believe in all this uh, the sort of the the tub thumping and the um, the sort of the neuro-linguistic programming and all that sort of? Or they just fancy things that...
1: I think there's value for all those things, but it's like medicine. Some people need it, some Mm. people don't. Some people need lots of it and others need nothing of it. So you have to individually assess which athletes need what and uh, try and put uh, an individual program in place that supports the needs. An athlete will succeed because of their strengths and will fall short of their, their potential because of their weaknesses. Now, the reason people have weaknesses is because they don't want to deal with them. They like to push them aside, like all of us. And uh, the area of greatest improvement is in your area of weakness. So you've got to convince people to come back and deal with their weaknesses while maintaining their strengths.
0: Throwing things forward, um, what's a realistic target for uh, Beijing 2008 and uh, London 2012?
1: I think London 2012 obviously will be much, much better. than than Beijing because it's home crowd and and our programs will have a chance to develop. The young athletes we've got in the program now will come through. Um, Boys, men, take longer to come through so uh, our sprint men will take a while. Two years ago, we looked very bad in the men's 4x100 freestyle. Today, we look very good. Uh, Ross Davenport, Simon Burnett, we have some depth in our men's 100 freestyle relay now. But I think... uh, I think there's nine events that we can identify now that we think that we have strong final performances in how many of those we can convert or what we can convert uh, is down to the coaches and, and down to the preparation. And, uh, you know, every national team, no matter what country they come from, has a 30-30-30 philosophy. 30% of your team are going to go and compete well and be great because that's the sort of people I are. 30% of your team are going to struggle. They're your, your first-timers, your last-timers, your relay alternatives. They struggle. That's your, your bottom 30%. It's that middle 30% that your program, your coaching, can make a difference to. And if you can get that to rise, then uh, I think at least 70% of your team has to be able to final at any major meet if you're going to pick up medals. So, But I think the target for London should be to have, for Britain to have at least one finalist in every event and I think that would be good and if you can do that your chances of medals are greatly increased
0: Now you're going to leave um, your job in in 2008 what do you think your legacy
1: um, will be? My legacy will be a system that's already in place now to identify the 2012 athletes we know them now we know who they are
0: Already so there's no one there's no one on your radar that you won't know about that could conceivably compete in in London 2012
1: There could be but, but We've cast our net so wide that I think we know now who's going to be on the 2012 team. And we're putting in place as resources behind them, nutrition, psychology, exercise physiology, injury treatment, injury prevention, you know, lifestyle skills, self-management skills behind these people that will fortify them and ensure that they get through the system. Uh, the thing I have to do that I haven't done yet is put in place a better competition calendar and uh, that takes a big buy-in from a lot of people. It's better than it was, but it can be better. And uh, I think ta- the, the, the talented athlete program and also the, the, the program of coach development is, is certainly the legacies that I leave. And final question,
0: what will you do next? No plans to put your feet up and retire?
1: No, there's no chance of that. There's no, I have no interest in in, in doing nothing I've seen too many of my friends that do that. It hasn't ended up good for them, so I definitely don't want to do that.